I'm finna put all this in my book bag because I'm from the streets. Yeah, yeah. Boom, what's going on? It's your boy Ambition, and here we are again with another episode of the MYFB podcast. And today I have with me a guest that by her business name is <laughs> authentic as fuck. I love the business name. Uh, I have Miss Erin Moore with me. How are you doing, Erin? I'm doing fantastic. I'm really excited to be here and have these conversations with you. So thank you. All right. I'm excited to have you with me too, is because um, I love the wave of business that we're in, the wave of marketing that we're in, mm-hmm. where everybody's just raw and they're cursing mm-hmm. in their business title. <laughs> their tag, yep. right? uh, love the freedom of expression. Mm-hmm. Right? Uh, but tell us a little bit more about your business. What exactly do you do? And uh, mm-hmm. what is the mission of Authentic as Fuck? Um, so what I do, I help women business owners build successful businesses in a society that tells them they shouldn't, in a society that tells them they should be small and shine their, uh, hide their light and, you know, smile and be polite and don't, you know, don't go out there and, and, and rock the boat. And I, I teach them to go out there and rock the fucking boat because the systems that we live within are, they need dismantling. They need like all of them. None of them fucking work anymore. And the only way I know how to do that is from the inside out. And I, I really believe that when women make money, we change the fucking world. And so that is my goal is to help women make really good money through their businesses. And part of that is by learning how to show up authentically, because when we are authentic, when we're cursing in our business, if that's real for us, when we are showing up as we really are, we give other people permission to do the same thing. And the world doesn't need any more fakeness. The world doesn't need any more bullshit. The world needs real fucking people showing up and having the hard conversations. That's what I do. Wow, Aaron, you definitely said a mouthful. Um, <laughs> that's it. Thank you, guys. That has been the <laughs> done. <laughs> right. Um, mic drop, walk out the room. Um, love it. Love it. So with that, mm-hmm. uh, there's an understanding that I have, right? You, you don't mm-hmm. reach that level of confidence within business, mm-hmm. uh, within anything that you do without a unbelievable ability to overcome obstacles and struggle. Mm-hmm. So um, I don't know you very well. I don't <laughs> know the story, but it sounds like there's a story there. Would you mm-hmm. mind sharing a little bit of that with us? Absolutely. There's there's a lot of stories there. Um, so like in a nutshell, I grew, well, I grew up in South Africa during apartheid in an interracial family. So that had a lot of interesting challenges to it and a lot right. of it gave me a very different perspective on the world, a very different perspective on um, race, on why we're all here, on, you know, human beings. And my childhood was abusive in many ways, in many different ways. Um, And so overcoming childhood abuse, childhood trauma, like that's, that fucks with you on so many different levels because it forms such a, core beliefs about yourself that are bullshit, right? It forms these core beliefs about yourself that you're not worth anything, that you can't have success, that you don't even dare to dream about it, that you're just here. Like for me, my belief was I'm just here to be the dumping ground for other people. And I got to just suck it up and other people need to be happy. And I'm the one who needs to deal with all that shit. And so that was a belief that I carried with me for, oh God, 30 years. And so it took a lot of intense work, uh, therapy, coaching, my own challenging stuff to 
learn how to overcome that trauma because trauma physically changes our brain. It physically changes our body, right? Okay. It's not just, a, oh, well, you know, read a book and your mindset will shift or, you know, <laughs> that. And white woman coaching makes me crazy with that, like, <laughs> here, just, you know, have a better morning routine and you won't have trauma anymore. Like, get the fuck out of here with that shit. So, like, learning where it impacts your brain and what you can actually do about it is vital for success for people living within traumatic systems, right? And I don't think we talk enough about that. And I can talk about it because I spent 30 years learning how to do that and learning the difference and overcoming the stigma around, um, you know, childhood abuse, overcoming the stigma around right. abuse as an adult, even as a woman and sexual assault was a big one and overcoming the stigma of, well, what were you wearing and what were all of that bullshit that's there? Right. Um, take strength and I spent a lot of years feeling like I didn't have any strength because I was just surviving. Mm. And then coming out the other side and being like, okay, so all of that work that I did actually works. <laughs> it actually gets me where I want to go with the right support and the right help um, and the right learning what to do and learning that I'm not broken. It's not a me problem. Like there's so much more to that and I can learn how to control myself and heal and kind of reshape um, like the neural pathways in our brain that get that get um, changed by trauma. So. Wow. so, so when we first talked, we had said that this was going to be an on brand episode, mm -hmm. and unbelievably on brand. The first uh, episode that we did was on mm -hmm. mental health and personal development, mm -hmm. and uh, you brought up something that. I complain about on the other side, right? I'm mm -hmm. so tired of motivational speakers and coaches yeah. that are like, give it 150%. Like, do you mm -hmm. understand that the, the concept of 100% mm -hmm. is all of it? Right. Right. Like, right. it's one thing if you say, you know what, you did not give it your all. And then this mm -hmm. person has to go searching inside of themselves mm -hmm. for a deeper potential. And that's realistic. And that's mm -hmm. real. That can mm -hmm. work. Uh, but when you say, give me 150%, uh -huh. my literal ass mind is over here going, <laughs> where the fuck did this uh -huh. extra 50% come from? <laughs> right. Yep. So I love that you said it. Um, love that you highlighted that. And I, I, I just love how raw and authentic you are about it. Uh, you mentioned some things. And as I mentioned to you earlier, I've done uh, women empowerment events in the past. Uh -huh. um, and what, I've learned as a male entering into mm. the space or a man entering into the space is, um, yeah, you may, before you enter in, it, it was kind of like a war zone hype up for me. Right. Mm, okay. And I say it that way because, you know, I'm a veteran. So mm -hmm. I, mm. I compare everything to like, okay, well, we're going into this space. Everything is combat. Right. That's the worst thing that could possibly happen. Right. Um, yep. but emotional trauma is so much different. Mm -hmm. And that's what I learned in that space. It's, um, it's realizing when you have people in front of you, uh, that they really can't see the forest through their tr yeah. through the trees, mm -hmm. yep. uh, their physical body may be there with you, but mentally, yep. you know, there's logic and reasoning that was left behind in those moments. And it's um it for me it was where knowing that we're I may have been a very uh just generally unsympathetic person mm 
mm-hmm. not not very emotional. Like if somebody comes up to me on the street and they're crying, I'm like, gross. <laughs> Get away like, from me. <laughs> right. Like, yep. like I'm not a very sympathetic person, but learning that empathy and that um in that space was a, a very enlightening and maturing mm. process for me. Mm-hmm. Um, my question is uh, from the other side, because men go through a lot of trauma ourselves, mm-hmm. right? mm-hmm. there are men who have suffered uh, sexual abuse as children mm-hmm. and we never talk about it. And right. then we hear Mike Tyson talk about that and we go hero, but don't say that no more. Right. right? Not me. Right. Mm-hmm. So, um, from the other side coming in, the question is, what does it feel like when you're in those spaces where someone has your story, right? Like mm-hmm. you guys can relate on a very similar story mm-hmm. and you have a network of people where it's just not one person, it's a group mm-hmm. of people and you're coming out of that together. What does that feel like? Have um, What has been your experience with it? That's, oh, that's I love this question. It's such a great question because one of the things that, you know, trauma can do is teach us that other people are dangerous, right? And that we need to just do it ourselves and we can't connect with other people. And part of the conditioning that women get in our society too is that other women in particular are dangerous. We're competition. We're competition for men. We're competition for jobs. We're competition for, you know, and, and the, the the messaging of women are bitchy and women are catty. Like that's what we're conditioned to see each other as, right? And then you add trauma in the mix and it's like, stay the fuck away from me. Like I'm not connecting with anybody. But the truth of the matter is we can't have true healing from trauma without connection with other human beings, right? That connection piece is a vital part of it, which is so hard when your brain is wired to see them as dangerous, right? So getting to that place of being able to connect with the right people, right? Because there are going to be people that you don't want to connect with, that it's just going to be re-traumatizing and more damaging. So finding that group of people that you can connect with, that you can heal with, that you can have those open conversations with, for me, when you ask what it feels like, it feels like coming home mm. because it's no longer, because I spent so many years doing it my damn self. <laughs> I was like, I'm not talking to anybody. I'm not sharing this shit. Uh, if I share this, it's weakness. If I share this, there's the taboo around mental health. I can't talk about sexual assault or sexual abuse because then people think I'm the problem and they shun me and they don't want anything to do with me. And right. so finding that space, and to be honest with you, I had to create that space myself. Um, mm. Creating that space where it became a safe space for other women to do um, was like coming home because it it's safe and it's secure and it's hard as hell, but the fallout, it's not even fallout. It's the, the result of it is healing. The result of it is connection. The result of it is finding my place. The result of it is knowing that I'm making a difference in the world um, rather than just being kind of bounced around reacting to everything that's going on. Um, it, it's just that feeling of coming home and changing the world by changing that space for for other women i like i love that you said that actually because and i love that you said that you had to create that space because i think that's what this new wave of digital technology has been Mm -hmm. um it's been this entrepreneurial revolution and this human evolution what feels like a consciousness evolution where Mm -hmm. you can find your support system no matter how separated they may be, right? And it all hinges on this skill of 
building communities. And if you don't have it in person, you're not going to be able to muster it online. Right. You know, so I think it's very interesting that you said that. Um, Let's talk about jump very back into the business a little bit more. Mm -hmm. What results has your business had with uh, Mm -hmm. with your clients? And, you know, what are some of the success stories that we can hear from your business? So personally, my own business, (laughs) I'd spent so many years in business hiding behind like professional armor, presenting what I thought the world wanted to see. And I was fucking unhappy. I was fucking miserable. I hated my job. I hated my clients. I hated like every email I got. I was like, oh, you're such an idiot. I don't want to work with you. Like that was my initial response because I was so emotionally burnt out. I didn't have anything left to give anybody else. Right. (laughs) So, yeah. So that I went from that place and like making okay money. And here's the thing, like on the outside, everything looked successful. Right. Like I had, you know, on the surface level, everything looked good. And I was just dying inside on the inside. And when I made that shift and I was like, actually, I'm showing up as me. I'm showing up with like warts and all. And the people who aren't going to like it can fuck right off. And the people who are going to like it will have that, you know, that space. I shifted what I do. Right. And I moved into coaching. I five times my income. Um, and then that stayed consistent, right? Um, because I was working with people who, I stopped working with just everybody and I started working with people who actually needed what I had to offer and would actually do the work and like had saw value in that work, right? So um, I five times my income, I worked with only the best clients now. Like I love my clients to bits. I'm super protective over them. Um, and so that's my own personal like shift. But my clients, like some pretty typical results are, if I think about one of my clients, she came in and she quadrupled her income in three months of working with me wow. because she, yeah, because she let go of all of the bullshit and she was able to focus on what was really going to make her money and focused on letting go of shit clients and working with the really good clients and showing up as herself. Um, so like income hopping as far as like two, three, four times is pretty normal for my clients. Um, but the biggest shift for them is stepping into their own skin and not feeling like they have to hide who they are taking that thing that they're scared that the world is going to shun them for and actually bringing that into their business which then has the knock-on effect of giving their clients permission to look at their own real stuff right which means their clients are getting results beyond anything they could have imagined so it's you know the the real shift is people getting more satisfaction from what they do because they're able to show up better because they don't have the financial worry of shit. Am I going to find enough clients this month? Cause we've taken care of that. Right. And then they right. can show up as them, which means they're attracting the real clients. They're attracting the real people. So you said a lot of things that were just so spot on and mm. have just kind of keyhole with epiphanies that have recently come up. Mm. So, um, with coaching, one of the mm. things that I've heard said, and this is something that I want to say for the edification of anyone listening, right? Mm. With coaching, I think that it's very important that when you're a coach, that you also have a coach, right? Mm-hmm. Uh, it could be coaches in different areas, but yep. pay the guy who's going and figuring out all that stuff and trying to be innovative and has the expertise because they're going to make sure that you don't fall into some holes. Mm-hmm. And you said something about your clients and loving your clients and who you mm-hmm. work with. And we've recently gotten specific in my business, mm. right? 
um, we've recently gotten specific and I had to really sit down and it was with the help of uh, one of my coaches. Mm. And he just kind of asked me the question. He's like, well, do you want to just be struggling to get a client or do you want it to be easy for you to work with clients that you know what to expect and you can deliver the results consistently? Mm -hmm. I was like, okay, well, let me get over my own (laughs) shit Yep, because that's all it is. It's your personal shit. You're like, oh, I want to help everybody. It's like, okay. Mm-hmm. All right, Jesus, chill out. <laughs> <laughs> yep. like, chill out. It's a we gotta be. I gotta be honest for calling it uh, out in myself. Uh, yeah, a little bit of a savior's complex, right? It's like I want to help the world. Yep. Yeah, yep. Stop for a moment. Help who you can help, and yeah, that yep. will help the world. Exactly. Right. Oh, that's so that's so important because when we look at the, I want to help everybody, we actually end up helping nobody. Right. Whereas when we're like, I'm going to laser in and focus, then you're right. We help one person and that has a knock on effect of helping so many other people. Right. You know what you, who you do help when you say, I want to help the world, you help yourself right into poverty. Yep. (laughs) Oh yeah. Yep. That's so true for me. Like I was so good at staying broke (laughs) before (laughs) I knew what I know now. I was really good at being broke because of that, because I wanted to help everybody. And you you convince yourself that it's, it's some sort of righteous thing that you're doing that, you know, why can't you be for everyone? There's Mm -hmm. exclusion. It's like, no, Mm -hmm. you're not excluding anyone. You're just focusing Mm -hmm. on these people. And by you being involved, you help these people actually be more inclusive. You help them figure out who they help. Yep. Um, and you help them to stop being dicks in their little cliques. Yep. Um, which is a big deal. Uh, which yeah. people, if people pay attention, um, this this is one of like my biggest pet peeves. Mm-hmm. Uh, the business bullies. We'll get on our podcast. Oh. We'll get on our stuff, and we'll be like, "If you don't do this, you're not going to be successful." It's like, right. you you don't need to agitate me to get yep. me to buy if uh, yep. your selling is actually valuable. Yep. So, and there's such a shift happening in like the coaching world, and I'm so glad it's happening. Shifting away from those bully and fear techniques to make sales into relationship and connection, right? right. And that's what we need to be fucking doing: relationship and connection. You're working with human beings. Right. Why do you want to work with someone who's like, here, let me scare the fuck out of you, and then you're gonna pay me money? I have enough shit in my life that scares me as it is. I don't need to pay someone to scare me. You know, what's interesting about it too, for me, is I, I come from a place where it's like the way that you're talking to me right now, the mm-hmm. way that you're talking to me, if we, if this wasn't a professional space, I would punch you in the face. <laughs> and it's like, right. I don't want to feel that way about somebody yeah. that's helping me get money. And I know that yeah. that sounds, in, you know, unbelievably shallow, but it's not. Mm-hmm. The truth is, uh, it's so shallow to me because I'd be keeping, mm. you know, the way that I was. Because your own stories. Right. But, mm-hmm. you know, it's, I think it's important that if you're going to make money with me, that you like me. Yes. Right? Because you're going to, a big piece of making money, getting clients is all about feeling good and yeah. shouldn't be in a coaching uh, client relationship or a consultant client relationship. Uh, with people that you're really having an issue with personality wise. Nope. 
Nope. Because it, you're, you're not going to show up. If I'm not comfortable with my coach, mm -hmm. I'm not going to ask the real questions. I'm going to ask the surface level shit, but I'm not going to get to the real issue because if I'm not comfortable, I don't trust them. I don't feel safe. I'm not right. going to share what's really there. I'm not going to be vulnerable. And vulnerability comes with boundaries, right? Knowing like we're not making trauma porn, but we need to share our stuff. And <laughs> well, I mean, come on, you've seen it. You've seen yes. it with, yes. right? So, but in order to be truly vulnerable, it needs to be a safe space and it can't be a safe space if fear mongering is used. Mm. It just can't, right? And so you can't get the results. That, that makes total sense. So a lot of us may be wondering, you know what, why, why did I pay $20,000 to a coach in the past? Why did I pay X amount of money? And I just want people to go back. Was there fear mongering involved? Right. Mm -hmm. were, were you anxious about getting some of these work done or was it yeah. an empowering space? Right. right. Um, mm -hmm. You know, I, I've committed to calling myself an empowerment speaker, not because, mm -hmm. you know, not because I think anything is wrong with motivation. I just think at the end of it, what the fuck do you do now? Right. And yep. you leave people with that question and they're questioning instead of doing they yeah. have anxiety. So yep. there's always got to be a tool and exercise yep. and something to take action upon. Um, oh, my God. Yes. Because like it, the thing that makes me so, <laughs> uh, there's so many things that make me crazy about the coaching space. But one of them is this whole like just change your mindset and everything will be different. So oh firstly, right like like mindset is important how you think is important it absolutely right. is but you can't change your life you can't change your thinking without changing your behavior right and this is one of the things that people have backwards they think oh well i'll change my thinking and then my behavior will change no you have to change your behavior first and then your thinking changes right yeah and so the whole like oh just change your thinking is like okay firstly if there's trauma not fucking possible without a lot of healing and a lot of like shift up changing neural pathways so fuck right. off with that because you're not trauma informed and secondly like people feel worse about themselves because they're going but i'm trying to change my thinking and i can't everybody else is managing to do it so what the fuck is wrong with me and then it makes them less likely to get the results right so you have to yeah. help people with the action part as well as the thinking part you have to put those two together in order right. to get results I, and i think otherwise you're just charging people for shit that they could have read in a book right right and what the fuck with that um, right so all right let's get a little bit more personal it's the okay. wildest story that you can tell us wildest thing that you've been through mm -hmm. right you the, get oh my God. the what the wildest thing oh okay what wild are we talking are we talking like traumatic wild or exciting wild or like because there's a difference um start, let's go uh like crazy funny wild like Crazy, funny, wild. Uh, ha, 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 ha. <laughs> that would that would probably have to be my learning around myself with my ex-husband uh, yeah. when I was still in a place of uh, not knowing that I was responsible for me and I was holding everybody else responsible for my feelings, my actions and my behavior. And I was holding him particularly responsible for it because, you know, you're married to me. You should be able to fix me, damn it, was the way that I... <laughs> <laughs> that I saw things and you know those like silly little things that show up in relationships that make people absolutely like resent each other and it's things like not hanging a towel up right because it's not actually about the towel right um, you so mine to was on this person way before yep but this yep. is the excuse to do it right so 
my thing was he would leave his socks wherever he took them off. Like <laughs> fucking kitchen counter, uh, <laughs> dining room table, uh, to find them stuffed down the side of the couch. And like for me, messy space was at that time was like out of control. And it would cause me like really big anxiety because I was like, I need my space to be clean and clear. And otherwise everything's out of control. And so what I heard and saw from him refusing to just pick up his fucking socks was he wasn't safe and I wasn't in a partnership mm. and he, I wasn't in a partnership with a grown ass man. Cause you know, adult men know how to fucking take care of their space. Um, and so, <laughs> yes, you fucking do. <laughs> and so it, it, there were so many stories I told myself around this and because I didn't have the skills that I have now and I was totally in a place of panic and still like my brain was, you know, when you're talking about earlier, the physical body is there, but your brain is somewhere else. Yes. That's where I was. Like I was having these massive PTSD responses back to abuse of like, this is dangerous. This is not okay. And so, <laughs> instead of sitting down and talking to him about it, I just responded with passive aggressiveness. And so I got to a point where I, whatever I would find, I would just throw out the window. So he had like a pile of like socks and boxer shorts that were just sitting outside in our yard because I was so fucking tired of picking up his clothes and he couldn't understand where his things were disappearing. Because you were throwing them out the window. Because I was so panicked at the time and I didn't have the skills that I have and I was just responding in an emotional way. Okay, so one similar story I have for you is uh, mm -hmm. my mom actually did this to me, right? Okay. I think I was like 12 and uh, at this time, like I'm kind of a bit of a latchkey kid. My mom's working, okay. you know, two jobs. So I get to see mm -hmm. her maybe about three hours a day. My older brother's upstairs uh, with his girlfriend. Uh, but you know, I'm a pretty decent kid. I come home, I do my homework, mm -hmm. I watch TV. Well, mm -hmm. I don't do my homework. I was, I, <laughs> I never did my homework. Like teachers okay. hated me in school. They're like, this is the smartest kid in class. If he did his homework, he'd have straight right. A's. And I was like, who wants straight A's? That's how those kids are. Right. I'm gonna kill. Right. Yeah. Um, so my mom comes home and her biggest pet peeve is dishes in the sink. Okay. Right. Like she does not do dishes in the sink. Mm -hmm. My biggest pet peeve is doing dishes. Doing dishes. <laughs> so, uh, and my thought process is I'm home alone anyway. Like, why do you care? Go back to work. Right. Maybe right. Leave in a couple hours. So my mom comes in, uh, this one night and the sink is full of dishes. Right. Because I'm also like, uh, preteen boy right like right. So I eat like a pig right um so sink is full of dishes she bagged up all the dishes and put them in the bed with me right and then she <laughs> you were sleeping I was sleeping I was sleeping so then she beat me and was like my dishes are next to you don't break my dishes <laughs> shit <laughs> did you break any dishes i did not break any dishes yeah, a very wow. disciplined kid oh um, wow but oh man i still hate dishes um fair so th this is the uh real life case study beating your kids does not work <laughs> does not work not so much. in yeah. fact it probably made you hate dishes more yeah it's like fuck mm -hmm. those dishes mm -hmm. uh Yo actually you know what you're right because a 
couple of years later, the, the a story you might hear her tell is I had made cornmeal or porridge, cornmeal porridge, mm-hmm. right? And I left it in the pot and it had gotten rancid. I didn't want to deal with it. I didn't want to clean it. Right. Like, oh, fuck it. I opened up the window and I chucked it off the, out of the window. <laughs> The whole the whole pot or just what was inside? The whole pot. The whole pot. (laughs) But where I threw it, I was like, man, I can't drop it down. That'll fuck up somebody's car or something. Right. I threw it on somebody else's roof. (laughs) (laughs) Right. So my mother comes home. She's looking out the window. She's like, oh. So and so the neighbor got a pot on their roof. I gotta tell him he got a pot on it. She said. That looked like my pot. I got up and left. Because <laughs> you knew I was coming. Yeah. <laughs> uh, but you know what? Like, it's actually such a great example, though, of what we were talking about, like, with, like, the fear mongering, right? Because, like, it, it doesn't change behavior. Like, it, no. it, in the long run, and we end up having this resentment, and we end up having this, like, fuck it, I'm not fucking doing that because of our feelings around it. It just, it's, it doesn't work. Yeah, the, even today, right? Like, so when when you're in relationships, I think it's important that you find uh, people that understand those yeah. things. So, for example, I don't do dishes. Right. Um, but, you know, my girlfriend doesn't, uh, she doesn't wash the bathtub. We trade those. There you go. Right. So it's all right. good. Yeah. It's I, so I important to find that. Bathtub. She wants yep. a clean sink. There you go. Yep. See, and I just pay someone to do it. Right. <laughs> like, well, that's where we all want to get to. Yeah. And that's the thing, too, that I think is, you know, one of the reasons that I'm so passionate about women making money mm-hmm. is that women still do the majority of the unpaid labor in, in mm-hmm. the home, right? On top of being expected to bring in 50% of the income now. And so when you get to a point as a, as, as a woman or as a couple where you can go, we don't want to do this shit. So let's just pay someone else to do it. You also are then supporting that small business, right? right. You're supporting the economy in a way that needs to be supported. You're not fucking supporting Amazon and Walmart and you're supporting small businesses mm-hmm. um, on so many different levels. Like I pay someone to do my cleaning, I pay someone to pick up my dog's poop, I pay someone to like do my lawn, I, because I'm like, I don't like doing that shit. And I can pay multiple small businesses and give back to my community that way. You know what, if you could uh, go find my ex wife and let her know that there was like a ton of things like when when I first started making six figures, we entered into this space where she was like, Oh, well, this needs to be done around the house and this and that I'm like, yo, we can fucking pay someone, right? right? Yeah. Um, so if anybody wants to go back and listen to episode six, like I talk about my experience of being raised in a cult and mm. having to build the church when I was 15. So yeah. I fucking hate manual labor, right? I'll do it. Right. And if I decide to do it, it's perfectly fine. But if you're yep. asking me to do it and I've said no, and I somehow end up doing it, mm-hmm. I'm going to fuck your shit up. Right. Right. Like I'm not I don't want to do this. So when the way that I was railing against it, when my ex-wife was asking, she was like, oh, well, you know, men of this generation can't do it. I was like, no, I could do a lot. I could build mm-hmm. a church. Mm-hmm. Apparently, I just right. don't <laughs> I just don't want to. Yep. 
Yep. And, you know, we get the conditioning that that's not okay, that we we're not allowed to want things or we're not allowed to do the things we don't want to do. And like, there are always going to be things that we don't want to do that we have to do. That's just part of being an adult. Like, right. there's always going to be that shit. But there's stuff that we don't need to like, torture ourselves with making ourselves do all these things that we don't want to do that take up mental and emotional time and energy that could be better spent doing something else yeah like even painting my house paid a guy to do it gave him 1500 bucks it was amazing for the both of us i didn't have to do it he got 1500 bucks like (laughs) win-win right just set the price appropriately learn to negotiate if you can afford that, that's the one, right? Like the negotiation. Well, it's that what the, the, what actually came to me was the, like set the, set the price, because that's one of the biggest things I find with my clients that women get conditioned to is not, not feeling comfortable charging enough. Mm. Um, because it's equated with our self-worth so much. Right. And our rates have absolutely nothing to do with our self-worth nothing at all. And people will spend money where they find value. So let, yeah, let's get into it. Right. Like I'm all about giving away value on this podcast. Yeah. So the things that I would urge people to look at, if they're having problems with setting their pricing, right. This Mm -hmm. is what I've had to look at myself. Mm -hmm. It has nothing to do with me. Just like you said, Mm -hmm. Um, Mm -hmm. the question that you have to ask your client is on a scale of one to 10, how big is this problem right. that I'm solving for you, mm-hmm. right? If the problem is a 10 and it's a major pain point, the price is based off of what they are willing to pay to mm-hmm. fix the problem and what's reasonable, mm-hmm. right? So a combination of, you know, what is the actual value of this thing? You might, mm-hmm. uh, let's say, for example, uh, you have a branding and uh, website design package and the average on the market for a complete package that's comparable is $6,000 and you're charging mm-hmm. $3,000, bring up that price value and bring up that uh, comparison. Mm-hmm. And if you're charging less, make it, make it a conscious choice, make it an intentional choice. Mm-hmm. That's the most that I tell people with uh, pricing, make sure that they're intentional mm-hmm. Uh, make sure that they're paying attention to the severity of the problem that they're solving. Right, that they're fixing. Yep. Yeah. Yeah. I, I like the general <clears throat> pricing advice that I give my clients is to base it on what they're offering. Right. Like, so if you take, if you break down what your offer has, you break down what your clients get access to, you break down the amount of time that it took you to put into that, you break down like all of that. And then you price according to that. Um, and then, you can like I'm not big on discounts or dropping rates or stuff like that what I coach my clients is you can offer things like a scholarship you can offer things like a free spot you can offer things like a you know something that that means that people who don't have access to a lot of money can still access your products and still access your services you can only do that if everybody else is paying top dollar yes so using people who not using leveraging the money from people who can't afford it to allow people who can't to get same access to it. Wow. You want to hear something internal to my business within my IP, we call it Robin Hood economics. I love that. Right. Yes. That's pretty much what it is. Yeah. 
Right. Yep. And so we basically tell people, if you're working with a business, make sure that you charge them based off of what they will earn. Yep. Right. If yep. you're, if I'm working with you and you're a business and my goal is to help you uh, get five clients, then yep. me charging you 20% of what you will earn from five clients is not unreasonable. Right. Right. Um, so we deal with this idea of Robin Hood economics, because when you're working with businesses, when you're working with high ticket clients, and a lot of people are, yeah. um, you want to make sure that you charge that full price, because when yep. you get the new person, the entrepreneur, right, let them into the program, let them yeah. be around and let them network. And it is a scholarship. And even how you uh, control access to that scholarship now yep. isn't based off of the monetary investment. Yeah. It's based off of the time and the effort that the person has already put into the thing. Right. Right. So that's, that's really like a really important point on that is what, what I have found and learned is that when you charge less, so like if we take your example of like 6,000 versus 3,000 for something, right. Mm -hmm. When you charge that less, people have less skin in the game. Mm -hmm. So they show up differently. Like mm -hmm. I show up, like I had an example of this, last month I signed up for like an email list building course. It was like a grand and I signed up for it and I did nothing with it because I was so busy with everything else. And so, but when I sign up for a coaching program that I'm paying 10, 15, 20 grand for, I fucking show up for that <laughs> because I'm not throwing that away. I have a brother out here that says uh, people who pay, pay attention. <laughs> yeah, it's true. It is true. Like, if, and just, I always ask people like how many 30, 40, $50 courses do you have sitting in your email inbox that you have not even opened? Because at the end of the day, you're like, well, I could do that or I could go watch Netflix. <laughs> okay, so now th this is where I think we're gonna really start reaching some value, right? And this is a mm -hmm. problem that I know I have um, that has come up when I talk to other business owners mm -hmm. is figuring out what, is worth a hundred dollars right. when you're talking about a digital product, product yeah. mm -hmm. is actually really difficult. Yeah. Right. And mm -hmm. the problem with it, the reason why it's so difficult, and I, I figured I'd explain this um, on the podcast too, is it's difficult because you have people who are putting out massive amounts of value mm -hmm. when it comes to digital products for mm -hmm. free. Mm -hmm. Right. So yep. you'll have people giving away checklists and uh, guides and templates and plans. And they're mm -hmm. really good because they have a targeted um, marketing system. So this thing that they're giving away is maybe a five hundred dollar value. And right. now it's free. And you're, you're looking at this comparison. Right. Yep. This is an unfiltered podcast that will not be taken out. Um, <laughs> awesome. <laughs> So uh, you're looking at that comparison and you're going, well, shit, I don't want to charge $100 for this one video that I did, or I don't want to charge this for this, mm -hmm. right? My opinion of it is if you say it's worth it, it's worth it. Yeah. That's it. Like the, yep. that's the all end all. Yep. Do you agree with that? Or I, I do. I, I do. Because one of the, the things that I find 
that is one of the biggest struggles for my clients when setting their rates. But, and, and so it's a little bit different because my clients offer services rather than a product. So there's a little bit of a difference there. Um, but what they do is they look around on what other people are charging to you know, decide their own rates. And the question I always ask is, why are you allowing someone else's self-worth to decide your rates? Let's, I completely agree with that, right? Um, and so, yeah. No, I completely agree because what a lot of people who do services add into their service is their creativity. Yeah. And that's a unique identifier. It's a yep. unique set of value. Yep. Uh, for example, all of my graphics are done by our uh, marketing agency arm of the business, AK Essentials, which is ran by my partner, Ari. Mm -hmm. And she has a specific style. It's kind of a modern editorial type style. Mm -hmm. um, all of the stuff that she does for me is a little bit different. It's minimalist and sharp and to mm -hmm. the point. And mm -hmm. I, I can't see myself going to another person if she was to look at me tomorrow and go, hey, my rates are going up because there's a desired type of client that I want to work with, but mm -hmm. I'm still working with you. This takes time away. That mm -hmm. has to be mitigated by X amount as X amount. Mm -hmm. I'd gladly incur a 50% yep. uh, rise on rates. I'd gladly yep. take a hundred percent rise on rates. Yep. She built the relationship and she perfectly mirrors the style. Yep. That's yep. the type of things that people are paying for. And it goes right back yeah. to what you said about our relationships. Yep. Yep. It's relationships. And it's, you know, when it comes to, um, you know, charging for services as well, like people, and even for products in a certain, to a certain degree, people aren't paying for the information. Mm. They're paying for you to walk them through how to use that information in their life. If people were simply paying for information, there wouldn't be coaching. There wouldn't be consulting. There would just be, here's a fucking PDF, off you go, right? That's not what people are paying for. Like people can get access to the information free anywhere. But, so, but they don't want it. And also they've got so much of their own shit they have to work through to implement that information. And that's mm. what they're paying you for. People are like... Part of the reason that my clients pay me and part of the reason why I'm so like vocal about being authentic is clients don't want someone who has a perfect life and has it all fucking figured out. Clients want to know that it's realistic for them. They want to see me a few steps ahead so that they know that I can guide them through it and that I can say, oh, fuck, yeah, I've been there. Here's what I did when that happened rather than, yeah, I have no issues anymore and everything's fucking perfect. So pay me to show you how to do that. No, people want to know that you struggle. People want to know that you battle with the same things they do. People want to know that you're a fucking human being because then they don't feel alone and they feel like it's possible for them. And that's what they're paying for. You know what? You are so right, because I, I can't tell you how many times we would sit in here. We're doing all the work, right? We're taking mm -hmm. the pictures. And mm -hmm. then we're, as we're getting ready to post it, I'll see somebody just pop up on my feed. And it's like, fucking polished bullshit. <laughs> right? <laughs> right? Because yep. it, it's very frustrating because it's like, listen, the idea that everything that you do has to be polished into the yep. umpteenth quality it's like i'm sorry i don't have a sound engineer i have some sound engineer advice available right. to me right? right um so what you get is an unfiltered podcast and i'll try to make it sound the best i can mm -hmm. um but come for the quality come for the quality of information 
Yeah. Not the quality of sound. Right. Yep. Um, yep. There's a, there's so much behind it. And I'm yeah. really glad that we uh, linked up. I think that we're going to be really good friends for a long time. I think so too. The minute we started talking, I was like, I like it. We're going to be friends. That, same yeah. here, right? That's but awesome. You, you had me at a uh, white woman coaching. <laughs> Well, actually, I was just going to come back to that with the polished and the, because it's the white woman coaches who have like the wicker furniture and the like live, love, laugh on the wall. And I'm like, get the fuck out of here. You know that you're like losing your shit in the background and melting down and none of this shit is true and just show up as you. It, it's, it, you know what? I think that is hard for a lot of people because they think yeah. that they're going to be judged, right? Of course. But And they and- will. Right. By stupid people. And why the fuck do you care? Because they're fucking idiots. Well, here, you know, I actually did a post on this the other like yesterday on when people say, I don't give a fuck about what other people think. Those are the people who give the most fucks about what other people think, because we are biologically conditioned to care what other people think for our survival. Mm -hmm. Right. Like that's there. That's never going to change. And the more we try to not care, the more we care, the more, you know, fake we are so it's not about not caring it's about cool so I care what am I going to do with that how am I going to do the things anyway how am I going to find my people who are going to resonate with what I'm saying and need what I have to say and the people who don't cool you can go somewhere else how do we care who doesn't care there's there's this one group of people who do care right who don't okay right okay if you come to them, if you are asking them, the first thing out of their mouth will be mm-hmm. that they don't care. Right. But they won't say anything else. Right. They actually don't care. And you should probably mm-hmm. leave them alone. And I say <laughs> that because uh, I'm that guy most of the time. It's like, I didn't ask you about it. You came over here telling me about it. I was watching anime. Right. Right. Like, I don't care. Right. <laughs> right. But okay. Right. So it's the, the people who... It, my, my addition was simply the people who don't care are people who are preoccupied doing other things. Things, right. And you're probably interrupting them, right? Right. The disruption marketing isn't coming off very well. You're just right. disruptive. Right. I guess like I'm looking at it differently in terms of when you're talking about people are worried about being judged. Mm, so okay. they don't put their stuff out there because they worry about that. That's what I'm talking about. Like ah. when you put your stuff out there, when you put your authentic self out there, of course, you're going to care what other people think, because we do as human beings, right? Mm-hmm. We care on that level. But that caring doesn't have to mean it controls what we do. That caring doesn't have to be to such a degree that it stops us. Like we can learn because if we try to remove caring from the equation, we remove relationship, we remove kindness, we remove empathy, we remove connection, right? Because you can't have any of those things without caring. And so instead of it being, a, I'm trying to get to a point of not giving a fuck, it gets, my goal is to help my clients get to a point where they trust themselves more than they care about what other people think. And they understand that there are some people that you're never going to make them happy. They're going to hate you no matter what you do. Yeah. You can sit there and be That's quiet and just blink and they're going to hate you for it. So it's about learning to detach from their opinion and and caring because we're always going to care, but that caring, not controlling what we do. Okay. Nice. Nice. Okay. I can see that. I, I could tell you there's probably uh, a couple of my listeners uh, who are listening that they don't have the empathy or the sympathy or any of those <laughs> things. And they're, they're just sitting there like, you know what? Fuck this white woman coach. (laughs) (laughs) No, no, 
because it's um i think empathy and sympathy have been things that i've had to learn personally yeah Mm -hmm. um and when i say i had to learn like i had to allow myself to get to those places um and I'm, i'm just saying that from the point of view of there are places in the world where you grow up in your condition to almost be sociopathic of course because it's survival right yeah and Mm -hmm. those are the people that i'm telling they they don't Mm -hmm. care they're listening they don't care but they're they may be learning to care right they're learning that's a great point yep yeah that's a really great point they're they're learning to to care they're learning to be okay with the fact that they have feelings otherwise those things get shoved down in chest yep. and they're used as weapons, you know? Yep. I, oh, that like I was, that was my experience just with my own trauma and my own, you know, like learning about people and men in particular. And, you know, that point of caring hurts. Caring is damaging. Caring is dangerous. Yeah. I'm not fucking doing it. Um, and I spent like a good 15 years in that place. <laughs> so like, I can really relate when you talk about that um, because it was survival because right. caring and opening up meant I kept getting abused and kept getting hurt and I couldn't do that. So I didn't. And, but yeah, it, I think there's a difference between disconnecting from empathy and sympathy from a survival perspective, because that's really all we can do to just keep going um, right. versus genuinely not caring which is on a like sociopathic level right so when right. we're when we're disconnected from our feelings versus not having them are also two very different things okay i, w- I would give you that yeah mm-hmm. so yeah if, if you're just not having them none of this registers at all right, right? but it's very seldom that i see that it doesn't register right yep. so i uh one example of that is you know me and my friends talk all the time we know guys that would be considered gangsters like mm you know, probably the most feared person in a neighborhood, right? Mm-hmm. And he's the person that always makes sure that the kids get the school safe. You know, he's giving right. kids $10 for haircuts, yep. right? Yep. It's, it's the, it's literally the big teddy bear. It's, right. it, it's yep. really a grizzly bear, but it likes kids. <laughs> like, right. <laughs> yep. And that's, that's what I was talking about, like earlier, when I talk about like, our societal conditioning and our environment that has such a massive impact on things. And that's for everybody, Um, you know, where you live, it's going to be different, obviously. And, you know, we have to take things into it, like our privilege into account, because that changes so much. Um, But, you know, being aware of, of that, and being aware of the innate humanness that we all have, and the, the innate want to survive. And, the biggest shift from my clients comes when they understand how much of that is societal conditioning, how much those systems are designed for that. Because when people are in survival mode, they're not a threat, right? So our systems are designed to keep us in survival survival mode. mode. Yeah. More so with certain demographics and especially in the U S right. And so like they're designed for that. And when people can recognize It's a systemic issue, not a me problem. There's a big shift that happens there too, especially for women in my experience. I think that it does take a lot for people to realize that it is a systemic issue. Yeah. Mm -hmm. um, Instead of relating and identifying with the problem. So um, I go back to the first episode again. I brought up this idea that a lot of us get a mental health diagnosis 
mm-hmm. and we start to identify with yes. the diagnosis. Yep. Yep. So we go, I have depression, right? And yep. all the brain heard was I, depression. Mm-hmm. I have anxiety. And now it's mm-hmm. my depression, my yep. anxiety. Mm-hmm. I tell people all the time, I never say my depression, my mm-hmm. anxiety. I tell you, I have a diagnosis for a major right. depressive disorder. I have a right. diagnosis for a major anxiety disorder, mm-hmm. right? But that shit don't belong to me. me. It's yep. not mine. Yep. Right? It's not who you are. Right. Mm-hmm. I picked that shit up fucking with y'all. <laughs> yep. right? Yeah. So no, you're right. I don't own it. And yep. when it comes along, I, I realize that there's a, and this is what I do personally, right? So, mm-hmm. you know, I'm not telling anybody to do this. Somebody might listen and go, listen to this fucking bullshit. <laughs> but I'll be very honest about what I do. My, um, I've turned my depression into a gift. Mm-hmm. And what I mean by that is it's a solemn moment where I can't acknowledge that I'm not feeling the greatest. I'm not on my highest mm-hmm. high. Yep. But I've often asked myself the question of when I do feel good, it feels that much better because better. I'm mm-hmm. down. Here. Yes. And the fact that I remember there are those times where it felt so yep. great. It starts yep. rem- reminding me that I have to do work even when I don't feel like it. Like it, yeah. Because I'm not always going to feel like this. Yeah. So that's yeah. usually my strategy. And, you know, I, I can, because people, eh, everybody's different. Okay. I can predict when my, my shit is going to hit. Uh-huh. It's uh-huh. like once a quarter, like clockwork. Uh-huh. And always on these times around certain, like specific times. And it's like, uh-huh. okay. No, I know it's coming. Mm-hmm. All right. I know it's not going to last long. It yep. didn't last yep. long last time. Right. And th- that is super rare. I don't know. Like, in case you don't know that, like, that is an incredibly rare quality for really? someone to be able to do because the conditioning that we get in our society is avoid the bad feelings. Mm. Right. Anytime you feel something negative, go eat something, go drink something, go like, like work out at the gym, go binge watch Netflix, go have sex, go like whatever you need to do, put some food on top of that or whatever. I still you have try to, to do, do all those it. things. Sure. Yeah. Because we, we all do, man. We all do. Like I, I have to stop myself from being like, no, we're not putting food on top of our feelings because that doesn't help. But okay. like it, it's conditioning that we get. And because as a society, we've demonized half of what we feel. Anything that we see as negative, depression, anxiety, fear, um, anger, you know, like, well, except for men, anger is like the only emotion y'all are allowed to feel according to society, (laughs) but like we've demonized it. And so when we start feeling bad, we've got those bad feelings and then we've got the guilt and shame about having those bad feelings on top of it, which makes it so much harder. So people don't know how to sit in their shit. They don't know how to sit in the negative. They don't know how to feel bad. So, but the truth, like when you said you, you can, you feel the good feels so much better because of the bad. Yeah. You don't feel good if you don't feel the bad. Right. Yeah. So, right. Yeah. There, there was um actually where, where I picked that up to was, you know, this older Rasta man that I built the church with, he told mm-hmm. me um, happiness is a comfort to a fool. Right. Mm-hmm. And I, I like looked that. at that. I looked at the saying from the wrong angle for so many years. Like mm-hmm. there was a problem with happiness. Like that's right. Right. And then when it finally clicked on the other end, like, no, it's just telling you that feelings come in ebbs and flows. Yes. Right. Oh, yes. So, you know, be happy when it's time to be happy. But yep. 
also know that it's not gonna last like yep. other things are gonna come along yep. and respect the transition and that that's normal right yeah. because so many people like I, a lot of my clients struggle with this with i was doing so well and now i'm back being and i'm like yeah, that's that's life right that's what happens right it's not right. a personal failing with you because you're now having a bad period of time that's what life looks like. But because we're not taught that, where were you ever taught in school or by your parents or to sit in your shit? Never. We're not. Never. Right? So like, you look at it, you've got a whole bunch of like billions of people on the planet who don't know how to be unhappy, who don't know how to sit in their shit and who are striving for my life should always feel good. And it's, it's really just, you will always feel good if you learn to be content with whatever. Yes, because <laughs> when there's that, when you can feel not good, but when you can be like, cool, this isn't going to last. Today's a shit day. And so this is what I'm going to do to get through the day. This is what I'm going to do to like manage things. And maybe that's, and like you said, everybody's different. Maybe that's cool. Today I'm fucking calling a mulligan. I'm going back to bed and I will deal with this shit tomorrow. Or maybe it's, I know that I need to get out and, and do things when I'm feeling this way, whatever. Right. But to understand that it's not a personal failing. It doesn't mean that you're a shit human being because you're having a bad day. It doesn't mean that you're somehow this massive failure because you can't like, control your feelings all the fucking time and can't be happy all the fucking time right you you want to know what my um i i have a, a theory about that, that oh yeah 99 of the shit that's just eating us up when we start to feel depressed mm. are the judgments that we yes. put on the outside world yep. that yep. shouldn't be there in the first place mm -hmm. like if you think that someone that plays video games all day is a, sh a shit bag the day that you want to play video games all day you now have this preconceived notion yeah that you're a shit it, right you're gonna yeah. feel directly aligned uh -huh. like, um and it's all of the things right yep. when you look at a promiscuous woman and you go oh well she's an ex or she's a hoe or she's whatever well the day that you just have uh -huh. a, a very fucking human desire uh -huh. and you execute on it now you yep. have a whole bunch that of judgment yep. and shame associated with it Yep. And it triggers a cycle of stories for you. Yep. Right. And but, those, sorry. Yep. Oh, the, the last piece of that was simply this, that feelings hold memories, right? Mm -hmm. like feelings are what triggers these memories. Mm -hmm. So you think that it's the thing that you've been through that inspires you to feel that way, but the feeling is what's locked in. There's muscle mm -hmm. memory in the mm -hmm. feeling. So mm -hmm. You, you get this feeling and you're like, oh, well, now I'm feeling like what that time when yep. X, Y, Z yep. and why am I feeling like shit? It's like because you you have a shitty fucking idea of the yeah, world. Yep. Got to clean that stuff up for yourself. Yep. It's the like the problem is almost never the problem. It's the judgment and the shame and the guilt and the stories mm. we tell ourselves around the problem. And the thing about that is that, too, that's a natural human thing to do. Right. Like it, negative bias is how we are designed. It's survival, right? And so our brains are trying to keep us safe with that. Mm -hmm. And yet instead of when we can understand that and go, oh, look at you, you're trying to keep me safe. Thanks so much. I appreciate that. But here's what I'm going to do instead is a right. totally different experience to you're right. I'm shit. And now I'm awful. And oh my God. And then we keep piling that on and then we can't do anything. And then we prove those stories right. And then we just get in that fucking cycle. I, so I actually have an example of that, right? So mm. I have a friend of mine who, you know, she just had her first kid not too long ago. 
mm-hmm. and she's very honest with people. She's like, I don't like this parenting thing. Right? <laughs> and everybody's like, they're, they're <gasps> confused by it. They're like, yeah. So she talks to me and the first thing out of my mouth was like, yeah, I get it. Kids are fucking shit. Like there's like people try to tell you there's all this butt upside, but yeah. 90% of the time you're changing the shitty diaper yeah. and you're spending a ton of fucking money and they and getting those sleep. Alone. Now, all of a sudden you can't take a shit by yourself. Yep. Right. Mm-hmm. So there's a ton of fucking problems. I totally get it. And I, mm-hmm. I sympathize or well, not. I empathize with her. Mm-hmm. Let me be very specific. Yeah. <laughs> um, so I empathize with her because one of the things that people were failing to realize was this was the first time in her life that she could finally take care of herself. Right. And she just wanted to be a little self. Right. Yeah. Right? And there's nothing wrong with that. Right. And here you got all these people telling you, oh, oh yeah, well, you can't, you can't let the baby see that. And it's like, listen, if you just give her the space from the baby, <laughs> yeah, the space, it'll be. Yeah. All right. It's actually, I was reading an article a friend of mine shared about um, a, a black woman had r- written an article about hiring a night doula for mm-hmm. her newborn, right? To basically like get up and feed the baby and sleep with the baby and be around with the baby. So the baby had um, care, but right. that the parents could get some sleep. Right. And people lost their fucking minds because of it. And really? part of it, I think part of it is just good old racism because if a white woman had written that, people have been like, oh, look at you taking care of yourself. But because <laughs> it was a black woman, people were like, you can't fucking do that. So that was the first part. But so many people had the judgment of, but the baby needs this and the baby needs that and you're not parenting right and you're not this and you're not that because it looked different to what society tells you it should look like. But if you look at the truth of mom's rested, that means she's a better fucking mom. Baby is not being left alone all night. There's someone with her. Baby's needs are met. What's the problem? The, the problem is what people want it to look. Uh, yep. it, it's the same issue that I ran into with my marriage, right? Mm-hmm. I was talking to my wife and I was bringing up what I felt was a genuine problem in our marriage. And she mm-hmm. said out of her mouth, um, what she said was, you know, there's so many people that look up to us. Right. I'm like, who gives a flying mm-hmm. fuck? Like, mm-hmm. this is about you and me. Yep. And now in my private home, I have to uh, live for other people. This people, is a yeah. fucking problem. Yep. Right? Yep. So with that, right, it, it's, it's learning that you you don't really have this uh this incentive to be real even when you're by yourself mm-hmm. right mm-hmm. So a lot of people are wearing that cloak of armor yep with by themselves and yeah. it has them breaking up with themselves Selves, yeah and it's causing a whole bunch of mental health issues and yep. and then yep. well why don't i want to get outside and go be the greatest architect in the world and it's like yeah, because you 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 are you're holding too many other voices in your it's head. In your head, yeah. You know, it's an interesting balance to find because we need to find that place of being true to ourselves and authentic with what is real in our life and how we want to show up and and what we believe is true about ourselves and who we want to be, while still staying connected to the fact that we are part of a community and that what we do impacts other people. 
and it's a balance because going too far to the one direction, we end up with, well, fuck everybody else and I'm just in it for me. And then we end up with a right. society that exists the way that it does right now. Right. Too far in the other direction, we end up with, well, I got to do everything for everybody else and everybody's looking up to me and I have to be this way because that's what they expect. So it's that that gray area of be who you fucking are while understanding that you're connected to other people and none of us are in this alone. I completely agree with that. So in the spirit of closing, is there Mm -hmm. anything that you would like to leave our audience with? Definitely tell us how we can connect with you because we're going to make sure that we get some uh, links into the podcast description so that we can connect with you as well. Um, I guess if if one message that I want to leave people with is that there's nothing wrong with you. And the world needs what you have, even though you're fucking terrified that they're going to judge and, and, and shame you for it. And some people will. And that's OK, because it's finding your right people who need what you have to offer. Um, that's I guess that's the most powerful learning for me. So I hope that other people can get that message, too. And then, yeah, people can find me on Facebook. Authentic as fuck coaching. Um, that's my main platform is Facebook. I'm on Instagram and LinkedIn, too. But that's mainly where I'm at. Authentic as fuck coaching on Facebook. All right. Love it. Cool. Thank you guys. And remember, go be great.